Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Aloha. Welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr. This is where I speak to athletes and sports stars who have reached the pinnacles of their careers. I want to know what makes them different to the average man or woman in the street. And perhaps we can use these insights for our own sporting ambitions or just our everyday lives. On this week's show, I speak to world champion, team pursuit cyclist, Andy Tennant of Great Britain. He's gearing up for the Rio 2016 Olympics as part of the Wiggins team, led by Bradley Wiggins. It's a really interesting chat with Andy. It's quite a technical chat, probably the most we've had on the best in the world up to this point. He really talks about positional sense inside the velodrome. We get really deep into nutrition, in fact. Uh, We specifically talk about the team Wiggins nutritionist David Dunn, what he's brought to their team and, and how Andy can improve it as a cyclist because of the improvements in nutrition. It's something he's interested in and I think you will be too. So it's a very fascinating chat with Andy on that. He also talks coffee. He's quite the coffee snob. That's what we start the discussion about. He mentions a few apps he uses to find the best coffee around the world and specifically in London. So if you like your caffeine, definitely listen to the start of the interview. And speaking of apps, I just wanted to mention what a good job I felt Facebook had done during the uh, Paris attacks. Obviously, this podcast is in the wake of that. I really like their marking safe application they've got as part of Facebook, just because it brings such relief um, to me and to many people to know that friends they have in that city are safe. Uh, I lived in Paris in 2005 while I worked for Eurosport, so I still have some friends there. I still have a great fondness for the city. I was there only a a few years ago for a a good friend of mine's wedding, and I I love the city. So for that to happen and for people to almost fear that they can leave their homes is is devastating for me, but uh, I'm sure they will rally around. Again, I think that's one of the positives of social media, that um, people do rally around Paris, and I think that that is ultimately a good thing and and hopefully the city and the world can move on and and hopefully for the better. Anyway, we'll move on from that. We're going to be talking to Andy Tennant in just a moment. As I mentioned, he works with Bradley Wiggins in the Wiggins team. And if you want to know more about cycling or even Bradley Wiggins himself, a really good way to do that is by listening to an audio book. 
Well, guess what? I'm feeling really generous today. How about I give you, the listener, the Best in the World podcast listener, a free 30-day trial with Audible. They have over 180,000 audio titles to choose from, and you can get the first 30 days free. One of them could be My Time with Bradley Wiggins. I haven't listened to it myself. It's on my list. I definitely want to download it. But if you want to do it, all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best, obviously for the Best in the World podcast. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best. That helps you. That helps me. We all get smarter. That's what we're here to do on the Best in the World podcast. And we're going to do that right now with Andy Tennant. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Andy Tennant, welcome to the Best in the World with Richard Parr. I just want to read through your Twitter bio. It says, World and European champion track cyclist, Olympian, official Wiggins rider, Commonwealth medalist, uh, BHF ambassador, and coffee snob. Tell yeah. me about being a coffee snob. <laughs> Have you been drinking it all day today? Uh, no, no, I don't. I try and avoid too much coffee, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, my um, I get... Um, grafted shall we say with the the task of uh finding the coffee shop out otherwise i'll uh, pull my nose up so i've got a few apps um it's easy in london when you're there but uh, there's another app called bean hunter which sounds a lot uh doesn't sound particularly um when when people hear when you say bean hunter it, it sort of gets other people's minds raced in but it is an innocent app it's not <laughs> anything else um but yeah so that that's usually pretty good um to help me sort of locate decent coffee shops um, around the UK, um, but yeah, uh, like for example, I've travelled here in Tenerife with um, a V60. Normally, I travel in Aeropress, and I've got my own kettle, scales, uh, grinder. It's a bit like a, a chemistry operation going on in my room. Uh, I think a bit about, a bit like Breaking Bad. That's that's the sort of look I'm going for. But all um, legal, right? Yeah, all legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no narcotics here. Um, and yeah, and then at home, I've got. Uh, a coffee machine that's probably more expensive than quite a few coffee shops, shall we say. Um, it's sort of an, an American thing. Not many people have heard of it. It's called a Slayer. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty bespoke. It was the second one in the UK, a single group. And there's, I think there's about four or five big ones in the UK. There's not many. They're in very sort of special coffee shops. There's special sort of... Um, there's a couple in London. There's one in Edinburgh, I know that. Um, so, yeah. That's where my sort of money gets spent, shall we say? Oh, fantastic! So, what what what's your standard order if you can't get the Slayer? What 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 would you what would you go into Starbucks and order, for example? I'd avoid Starbucks. Oh. I always have to go to Costa and Starbucks as if I'm in if I'm in a if I'm in an airport and I'm stuck. Otherwise, <laughs> if you live in London, um, yeah, I personally would never visit any of them. You can buy an iPhone app called. Uh, London's best coffee, and it'll probably be the best. I think it's. I think it might be seventy pence now. It used to be free. It might be a quid. I'm not sure, but that'll be the best one pound you ever spend. It'll uh, locate some specialty coffee shops, um, and there's, there's literally there there's tons of them. Um, you just don't realise, and uh, you'll get a lot better brew from there um, than you will ever from Starbucks or anywhere like that. That's for certain. Well, if you're not ambassador for them, perhaps you should be because you've done a really good sales job for them just there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
obviously uh, coffee is is part of your life and obviously nutrition as well I, I see that David Dunn is the uh, the Wiggins nutritionist what has he done to amend your diet since you've joined the team there yeah, quite a lot, actually. Um, got a lot of respect for David Dunn. I spoke to him the other day, actually. Um, he's got different ideas. He's, he's a sort of more modern um, take on a nutritionist um, from what we've had. We, we've been providing them through British Cycling, and British Cycling got new ones now, but I, I personally haven't worked with them much because I've sort of found I'm pretty happy with David Dunn. He sends me everything I need to, um, goes into as much detail as I, as I want as such. Um, I've got sort of A-levels in biology and chemistry, so... My understanding of the human body and how it sort of is affected by food and exercise, etc., is is relatively good. I was looking at doing sort of sports and exercise science at university, so I, you know I understand more than than some people would do um, in, in that field and, and other fields. I definitely don't. So um, it just makes everything for me practical and simple. Um, I think that's that's what you need as an athlete. Um, you know, when you when you've done six or seven hours training. The last thing you want to do is uh, a Jamie's 15-minute meals. I've done plenty of them, and they, they never take 15 minutes, that's for certain. Mm. Um, and, and you just cause, it, it looks like a tsunami's hit the, uh, the kitchen as well. You've used every pot and pan, and you've used every blooming utensil in your cruising art food processor. And it's just it's recipes that he gives you. You know that they're nutritious. They're exactly what you need, um, you know. But the biggest change for me is um, is increase my protein intake. I probably was never eating enough protein um, before. Uh, I was surprised at how much we did actually need to to use. And um, for years, I've probably not eaten enough. And I'm eating sort of two to two and a half grams per kilo. I'm 82 kilos, so you know I'm looking at around 200 grams of protein a day, which is which is quite a lot of protein. Um, and uh, yeah, you're almost looking at products to to get enough food and calories and um, yeah, to try and keep muscle mass on and maintain it, um, especially in the vault, uh, altitude where we are now. Um, all we're doing is aerobic work, and it's very catabolic, so it destroys all your muscle mass that you've sort of built up doing the track and gym. So, um, yeah, his best advice is if I would say to anyone, follow him on Instagram and Twitter because he does put some cracking little recipes up that are, that are easy to follow and um, great for anyone to, to do, shall we say. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and put that on the info sheet when, when I put this podcast out, give his yeah, uh, details fine, as well. So how does your, uh, what you eat change between a training day and a race day? For example, what would you eat in the hours leading up to a big race? Yeah, um, it's, it's not particularly exciting really. Our diet is pretty boring. Um, in the, when you're doing sort of road racing, it can be a bit more varied. Um, sort of if, you, if you're racing... Say at one o'clock in the afternoon, we'll do road racing. You'd probably get up at, at nine o'clock and have a, a lightish breakfast, um, or you'd sort of skip it and um, just have something at ten o'clock. Is probably my option and stay in bed for a bit longer. Um, and in those that area, you sort of have it, it's pretty boring. It's probably like a bowl of porridge and and an omelette, and that's pretty much all you have. Um, you know, you try and avoid the donuts and the muffins and the croissants and all that sort of. Um, jazzle that's on the on the buffet plate. Yeah. Is is that difficult to do? Uh, it's not too hard when it's just a one day race, but when you're the seventh day into like a, a cycling tour, um, they appeal a lot more. I can tell you <laughs> now. Um, and you, you know you do have them. Don't get me wrong, but um, quite often they look a lot better than they taste, especially abroad. Um, but uh, you know we we're sort of self sufficient, and lots of stuff gets brought. So um, along with the team, um, sort of different mueslis and, and that type of stuff that have been bought in specially and. 
So we try and avoid the buffets a bit. Um, and then before track racing, um, like before team pursuits, we'll eat three hours before and we basically just have rice and chicken or rice and eggs. It's, it's pretty boring, blight, um, but to be honest, it's, it's the easiest on your stomach. Um, is the carb intake high? Do you take a lot of carbs? I know you say you're having more protein now. Yeah, not masses on the track, more so on the road. Um, you, you can carbo load up for, for you know, if it's a one-day race and stuff. But in a, a multi-stage race, um, after after sort of a race, you, you're sort of fueling again. But you're eating on the bike then, so you've got five or six hours. So you're continually eating all the time. So it's rather than having one massive meal, you're just continually sort of grazing all day. Um, after a race, you'll sort of have a protein shake um, that he's made up and then you'll have um, some sort of a, a food that he's designed. So like, for example, at Tour of Britain, we were having sort of um, chicken that he'd marinated with um, rice noodles because rice noodles are easier to digest than sort of pasta and that sort of stuff. So um, rice has become the stable diet of cyclists now. It used to be pasta, but now it's sort of rice. Um, Brown rice more than white? No, no, white rice after a race because it's a higher glycemic index, so it, the okay. carbs are absorbed more readily. Um, but then obviously at night you'll be eating. Um, so your main meal at night, you sort of have a higher protein content um, and you sort of have you know the more sort of complex carbs, um, sort of your brown rices, quinoas, that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, so it, it sort of it is tailored throughout the day for what you have, um, but it is pretty pretty simple on races. Um, so when you're off races, there's nothing, uh, nothing beats a good curry, that's for certain. <laughs> and uh, does, does alcohol get in your diet at all? Are you teetotal or, or is it only when you're not training? Or No, no, I, I, I sort of seldom drink. I don't, I'm not a massive drinker anyway, so that's, to be honest, that works well in my favour. Um, I have the odd beer when I go out, sort of like if, you know, we've done a race and me and the missus or me and the lads go out for a curry or food or whatever, you know, I'll have a beer um, and I can either leave it, it's either it stops at one beer or it goes into, yeah, it's a big night out. <laughs> I don't sort of have that. Um, I don't sort of, I can't sort of, I don't just have two or three. So I always, I always drive. So um, it's usually, you know, one or half and that sort of stops me, which is the, the easy option. Um, but yeah, you know, we sort of schedule in um, big nights out around, sort of after competitions and, and that sort of thing. So you, you have a, a release, shall we say. Um, so I, I drink throughout the year, but it, it doesn't figure too highly in my diet. Um, I'm quite lucky that I'm not too bothered. I sort of like beer and I like gin and gin and lemonade. They're my two little weaknesses, so yeah. So you're, you're in Tenerife right now. Uh, I, I think I was told you are in Colombia a few weeks ago. Um, how do you ad adapt to, to moving to different locations? How easy do you find it to go from one place to another? Uh, I just live out of suitcase all year, to be honest. Um, sort of, my partner lives uh, in a house in, that we own in sort of Shropshire, and I live in Wilmslow, and we sort of travel around. And up until the Olympics, it, it sort of figures that way, to be honest. Um, she's better off down there um, with her friends and family and, and that sort of stuff. Um, and we just sort of move around, and she's got the dogs with her and stuff. And um, yeah, uh, obviously going from Carly and stuff's always difficult for same for everyone with jet lag and, and that type of thing. Um, do you have a routine for the jet lag or on how to get over it? No, not really. I uh, struggled a bit for the first couple of days after Columbia. Um, it's always it's always worse going west. Um, back to back home is always worse, and it's, it's because also we we're only there for sort of four or five days, so you're just getting used to it, and then you totally you know you do the opposite and you go back to normal again. So it's you feel dreadful. Um, and then other than that, like Europe's obviously it's only a short hop on a plane. Um, but to be honest, hotel rooms feel more like home than uh, this place I've been here. I've, I think I spent um, two weeks here in January, three or four weeks here in 
in March and then we spent uh, another sort of six weeks in Lavinio. Um, so yeah, pretty much most of the time I'm, I'm in hotels, to be honest. I don't really spend that much time at my own home. Uh, sometimes I wonder why I've got a home. <laughs> do, you, do you become more of a hotel snob as well, the fact you go to different ones if they're not up to scratch and what you need? No, we stay in some absolutely diabolical hotels. I can assure you on bike races. When we're with GB and stuff, it's always, you know, over a good standard and when they're put on. But in bike races, you get put in, you know, it's quite often sort of Formula Ones and that type of thing in, in France. And there's three or four of you in a room and and you're all on top of each other. And, uh, yeah, it's um, it's cosy, shall we say. Um, Who's the worst to room with? Um... Dibbo, if he snores, he's bad when he snores. Otherwise, he's great, um, but he snores, so that's a bit annoying. Um, but I wouldn't say there's anyone. I, I don't dread um, rooming with anyone, to be honest. I like sharing with Ed Cancy the best. Um, I serve him quite a lot. He's probably one of my best mates, so it's quite like sharing with him. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I, don't env- I don't dread staying with anyone. Um, it's, it's probably more awkward with Brad because he's... Um, He's more quiet than everyone else. And obviously all of us lads are a lot closer on age and all about as stupid as each other, whereas he's a bit more <laughs> sensible. So sometimes it's a bit more, it's not, it's not awkward, but it's just a bit more, uh, I don't know, you, you almost feel a bit like you, you should behave yourself around him. That's probably the best way of putting it. Um, and sometimes you think what you'd probably do in front of Ed and the other lads, you think, well, I probably shouldn't do that. So, uh, yeah. Um, don't dread don't dread by any chance you know it's it's great being room with them because it's there's uh many benefits but at mm. the same time um you sort of have to act a bit more responsibly shall we say which i don't like doing too much <laughs> so be, being in in team wiggins with bradley wiggins what, what what in particular have you learned from him uh since joining the team um oof. People ask me this. It, it's difficult, like not so much from team pursuiting because obviously I've team pursued for for many years now, and I've probably you know learned as much as he knows, and we're we're almost telling him things that we've learned in the last couple of years that he didn't do when he was team pursuiting, and that we've changed. And um, but on what, the road, what was that? What is that in team pursuiting? Yeah, um, just just different lines on the track, and and how we've you know when he raced, for example, uh, back in two thousand and eight, they did a different finish than we do now um sort of man one so the first person in the line uh moved up man two tried to go over man one and man three came underneath which wasn't a particularly fast way of doing it whereas now man one just goes up um as high not as high as he can but high enough to allow man two and three to come under him um so it's just subtle changes that people probably wouldn't notice unless they've um team pursuited a lot or you know if i if i showed you two videos next to each other you'd see the difference mm. but otherwise you wouldn't um, but on the road, um, what's he, the one thing that we do get in Wiggins is a lot more respect um, in the peloton. Um, it's fantastic, um, especially in sort of Tour of Britain and stuff when you're in a national jersey or a, a continental level team. Sort of like, for example, the other years with Madison Genesis, the pros don't really respect you, uh, which is understandable. You know, if I was in a, a smaller level race, you're not sure uh, at what standard those bike riders are. And, you know, that's that's just a given um and you know there's such a high, uh, a variance in level at, at the continental level um between the best and the worst um in sort of bike handling skills and and sort of performance that it is difficult for them to respect you but once you've got a wiggins jersey on they know that they know who we are they know that brad's picked us and we are you know the sort of the gb track team and that we can handle our bikes and you know 
you just get that little bit more room and it's surprising how much that helps and how much energy that saves and you know that helped us sort of get propel Owen all up to you know third overall and and all those bunch kicks and it would have been a lot more difficult if we'd been sort of in the the GB national jersey or if we'd been riding for for a sort of a smaller British team um so that's not really something he's particularly helped me with but I suppose he has in a way because it's his name on the jersey and it's mm. the titles he's won and the respect he's gained that's sort of given us all that platform and um, I can't think of one outstanding comment, but I'm sure there's there's tons of things he's taught me. Um, and but uh, yeah, yeah. So what what are the goals for the team right now, and you personally? Um, obviously, all our focus really is on the Olympics and um, that team pursuit medal. Um, team Wiggins, obviously, we've got quite a few big races next year. I think we're doing Tour of California, Tour of Britain's on the cards. Um, so that that program's getting mapped out over the sort of the next coming month. We've got a, a much bigger team. I think there's 20 riders next year. Um, which should be good you know there's some fantastic riders in there you've got the likes of Scott Davis um, who's on the academy he's probably one of the the brightest young hopes for, for Britain I'd say um, on road racing scene and he's sort of joined now uh, moved across from the British Cycling Academy um, and there's you know some of my old teammates from the tracks sort of Sam Harrison he's there and obviously all the existing riders um, not forgetting Bradley himself so um, I think we've got some some good chances some fantastic results next year and I know they've got a, an under-23 focus and they're doing some big under-23 races like Liège and Paris-Roubaix and stuff, which I think is getting some of the younger lads really excited. On a personal note, are, are you normally a, a goal-setting person? Are you someone who says, I'm going, I'm going to try and do this and I'll do anything to achieve it? Or are you a kind of person who's, who's got a loose idea and kind of goes with the flow? Uh, no, nah, my my goal is definitely set at making that Olympic team and winning gold medal. Um, that's that's my focus, and everything that we're doing is is built around that. Whether it be road racing, there's this sort of um, if that's the top of my Everest, shall we say? Um, there's base camps along the way, so I, I want to you know whether it be an, achieve a certain power in a a certain timed effort or a standing start, or whether I want to do well in a particular road race that I know I can do well in, or um, but road racing is sort of used as a, for us a, a way of training. Um, training sort of gets a bit mundane and boring when you're doing six hours every day. So um, it's much better to race and you, you try a lot harder. Um, so that's, that's what we use sort of road racing for. It's just a much easier way to train, a much more enjoyable way to, to get the best out of ourselves. So you were part of the um, Team Pursuit team, uh, which took gold at the World Championships. What was that like in 2012? Yeah, it was. Um, I can't remember that. It's so long ago now. Um, I remember obviously it was great beating the Aussies on their home turf. Um, obviously, that was my first senior world title, which was fantastic. Um, obviously, it was followed by disappointment in London, um, sort of four or five months later. But um, you know, I'll still remember that that world title, and um, no one can take that away from me. So that's that's great, and it was. Um, it was a fantastic achievement. You know, I'd won a world's medal individually in 2005 in the IP. Um, we got silver in the team pursuit. Um, so it was, um, and we've got lots of silver and bronzes in the team pursuit at senior level. Um, so it's nice to get a, a rainbow jersey and hopefully we can uh, win it this year in London. That'd be quite nice. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Um, you've got so many accolades. Is that, the hi- is that the highlight, the one in 2012? Or is there anything which is particularly close to your heart as well? Um, no, I think a world title always will be the, other than the Olympics, I think it'll still be the, the biggest thing. Um, Commonwealth Games is, uh, is, is a weird one, you know, for some sports it's, it's easier to win a Commonwealth Games title than it is, you know, a Europeans title, etc. Whereas for us it's harder to win a Commonwealth Games title than a, a, 
a European title because it's got New Zealand, Australia, which are the best two team two team team pursuit nations, so I say. Um, so you know that silver medal there is is a good one. Um, obviously, I'd much rather it be gold. That's for certain. Um, but I think the World Championships, you know, you've got the best teams there, and uh, you know, 2012, the um, in Melbourne, the same teams basically rode um, for that World Championships of rode in the Olympics. So, um, you know, it's the it's the same field. It's just a it's just a different competition. So the World Championships still figure the the highest, shall I say, in my accolades. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Good chat so far with Andy. I'm just going to take a moment to pause the conversation. Okay, that... that I don't know what that noise was. That was supposed to be me putting the brakes on, I guess. But um, never mind. Let's move on from that. Let's forget that even happened. But we're going to take a break anyway from Andy Tennant right now. Um, I just wanted to tell you how you can get in touch with me. You can do that at Richard underscore Parr or go to my website www.richardparr.com. Net. I'd really like to hear your feedback on the show, who you'd like to hear from, because crucially, this is your show. If there's any particular aspect of some of these athletes you want to know more of, please let me know. It could be more of their routine. It could be how they got first interested into the sport. It could be nutrition. It could even be what they wear. What's the difference in their footwear? What's the difference in their clothing? Please let me know your thoughts of what you want to hear from some of the best athletes in the world. That's at Richard underscore Parr on Twitter and www.richardparr.net is the website for all of the details. And I just want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com 
forward slash best. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Player? Player, player. Anyway, forgetting players, let's go back to athletes and let's go back to Andy Tennant. He's up next. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. When did you get interested in cycling? Where, where did this, this love of sport begin? Um, I was I was a fat kid as a yeah 14 15 I liked sweets and cakes and stuff and I just um I just went down to the local club with my mate who was into sort of trials biking and um we sort of there was a Wolverhampton wheelers had an exhibition at the the local leisure village Oldersley Leisure Stadium I think it could be called Oldersley Leisure Village um but yeah they they had an exhibition then and then they had a little race the next that day so we did that and I was last I think and then the next day they had sort of a cafe run, uh, which seduced me with the bacon sandwiches. So I did that, and then I sort of um, got a lot keener on that. But to be honest, until I was 16, I was absolutely useless. I'd do handicap races and get five lap head start and still finish and lose 10 laps and finish five laps down. And I had a heart operation around um, sort of 14, 15 years old. And and then I sort of got started getting good around uh, sort of GCSE year last year, I sort of got um, second in uh, the under sixteen nationals, and and sort of was up there. And then, what what changed there? What changed? How, how did you go from being the fat kid coming last to the guy second in the nationals? What what were you doing differently? I just started riding a bike more seriously. Um, I had um, my friend John Murphy, his dad Rob, um, did a, a BC coaching award and, and started coaching me and his and his son. Um, there was probably nothing really particularly specific about it, um, but I just did more bike riding. So I'd ride virtually every day doing something. And I think that, you know, that riding every day just, just made me better. Um, and obviously I had some talent there, which, um, sort of came through, shall we say, um, I lost quite a bit of weight, which always helps in cycling. That's for certain. And, um, yeah, I just progressed and I don't think there's any one thing and I didn't, and then first year junior. I tried out for the Great Britain cycling team and and hit and passed one of their times, but um, didn't get selected because they didn't know who I was. And then the next year, I managed to blag my way back onto the the trial process and and blitz the time. And then onwards and upwards from there, I sort of I'd never won a national title and and, and won a European or world title before I ever won a national title. So um, yeah, it was a um, bit of a weird way of doing it, really. Do you, do you think that's partly to do with genetics of, of, of what's the background in your family or, or is it just because you became when you decided to take it seriously you were like I'm so driven this is what I'm going for and that's what propelled you a bit more um I don't I wouldn't say I'm as genetically gifted as some bike riders that's for certain um I'm more dedicated than some bike riders I'd say um so I, I'd say it's a mixture of the two obviously I have you know I have got some genetics that are helping me um, because, you know, naturally I'm better than, than some people. Um, but I am, you know, I do work hard at it. There's no, it doesn't come for free. That's for certain. Uh, I wish it did at times, but, uh, I, I couldn't really put my finger on what, what clicked and made the change. Um, I, I think I just got more interested in it and, you know, I, I like, I'm quite competitive as a person anyway, and whatever I do, whether it be cycling or playing Monopoly with the family, I still want to win. Um, so I think once I started getting good and started, you know, tasting that success, I wanted a bit more of it. And I think that's what sort of pushed me on to to keep trying. And I enjoyed it. It was, um, especially around sort of 
when I started getting good, it was more sort of in those years when there were exams at school. So it was almost a bit of a stress relief going out for two hours on the bike. And um, I think it worked quite well. You know, I wasn't good at football, so it was uh, a way of getting out. Did it help with your studies at all? You know, everyone says healthy body, healthy mind, or were you just so focused on the cycling then that the, the school studies just disappeared, so to speak? Uh, now I did all right my GCSEs. I got A stars, A's and B's, and then uh, A levels. Uh, didn't quite help so much. Um, the teachers didn't understand. I remember we, they wanted to, there was a mess up with teachers and this, that and the other, and they wanted to add a new, uh, to catch up on the work. They wanted to add a lesson in um, on like a Wednesday afternoon or something. And I was like, well, I can't do that because I'm training. Uh, and they didn't really understand at that time. And it happened to, happened to be the woman was like, well, what, what are you going to do with cycling? And then six years later, I met her after I won the world championships and stuff. And she apologized. She said, yeah, I was wrong there telling you that you wouldn't make anything out of cycling. And um, so that was always a, an amusing fact for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was on for sort of a, two A's and a B. Um, and running into A levels in sort of chemistry, biology, and geography, and then uh, ended up with BBC. Uh, I failed every last exam, um, but then I won a world title, so uh, I wouldn't change it. I sort of the problem was I knew that I couldn't uh, fail those exams in terms of I couldn't get lower than C's um, at my A levels. So no matter how badly I did, because I'd done so, you know, I'd, I'd got built up enough points in the previous exams and stuff. So I was a bit sort of like um, I just. I'd lost all motivation before then. I was always quite happy revising and studying and, you know, I'd always try my best in the exams. But by that point, I'd just had enough of it. I just couldn't be bothered with it any longer um, by those final exams in the summer. Um, and luckily, I didn't have to go to university, um, which was quite good because uh, at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. I was sort of just floating along and I was only going to uni because it was sort of the done thing. Um, and yeah, even if I went back to uni now, I still wouldn't know what I wanted to do. So uh not sports nutrition or anything like that. Well, that's, yeah, that was where I was heading down, but it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get a job in anything at the moment, though, to be fair. So um, looking, someone said to me the other day, it's not a bad job, is it? And I said, oh, I'd much rather be a Formula One driver living in Monaco. <laughs> but, uh, and he said, well, if you're in the position you are now, is there anything else you'd rather be doing with the skills you've got? And I said, no, not really. I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky and very... Um, gifted and you know in a privileged position to to do a lot of things that people you know would only dream of you know people say they want to be professional cyclists but when people actually realize you know how much time you are away and how many things you give up they soon change their mind but you know it's um it's certainly an experience that i can uh, take the take to the grave with me that's for certain no one can take that away yeah i'm sure we'd all like lewis hamilton's paycheck that'd be quite exactly nice. yes yeah. I'd quite happily ball around in a Formula One car if I had to. Yes, it can be a tough life at times. Um, so, obviously, when it comes to cycling, people can take a bike and they can go cycle around the town or, or wherever. How do, how do you go from doing that to, to being in, in a velodrome? Because for me, when I was a kid, I didn't have like a local velodrome I could just pop into. How do you then get access to that? And then how do you get good at that? Yeah, no, I, well... There's, there's quite a few sort of outdoor tracks. I started on the outdoor tracks. There's loads in the in the Midlands where I came from. There's Oldsley, Hales Owen, there's one in Stoke. There's actually surprisingly more than people know about. Um, you know, they're, they're often with running tracks and the local clubs are the best way to start. Um, they quite often have sort of uh, links to the velodromes, shall we say. And now, obviously, Britain, with the success that we've had, we've having, we're having more and more velodromes or indoor velodromes built. You know, obviously, you've got Glasgow, Manchester, Newport in Wales, you've got Derby now and obviously London. Um, and the best way to start is there's taster sessions. The, there's more and more kids there all the time. Um, schools go in Manchester all the time and 
the best way to do it is to to look into those taster sessions at, at one of those velodromes. Um, London, I think you'll struggle a bit more, but sort of you know your Manchester, your Derby, and your Glasgow and your Newport are running sessions all the time. And the best way to do it is is to look on on their websites and go from there. And they, you can hire all the track bikes, hire everything that you need, um, and have a go on the track. Um, go on an outdoor track first, but it, it definitely doesn't. Um, it doesn't compare to an indoor track. Um, the banking's are sort of 45 degrees at least on a, an indoor track and it's a lot shorter. Um, whereas an outdoor track, it's sort of 20 degrees and you build up a lot more speed a lot quickly, a lot, a lot quicker, shall we say, on a, an indoor track. And um, the thrills you get, it's, it's hard to explain. It's, it's something that I think everyone should do. It's a bit like an Alton Towers ride the first time you go <laughs> on it. So, um, yeah, people are, are nervous trying, you know, they, they ride on, you've got the concrete at the bottom then there's a, a slight bit of wood, which is at sort of 20 degrees, which they call the Cope d'Azur, and people start riding around that. And then they, you can see them going on and off the, the main track um, as they build more and more confidence. And then you get the odd person who just goes straight to the top, but not many people do that, I can assure you. How many times did you crash in the early days? Um, I, you don't crash as much as you think when you get on like that. It, the crashes happen in races because... Obviously, you're getting so close and you're all jostling around for position and want to all be basically in the same position. So you're fighting against 30 bike riders to be in the same position. Um, it's the touch of wheels or the touch of handlebars and that type of thing. Um, but most people who, who crash sort of, whenever you, whenever there's a crash in front of you, you always go up the track. But when people panic, they go down the track and that's only one way because everyone who's crashing is coming down as well. So um, mm. yeah, that's the biggest thing I can tell people. Don't stop pedaling and always go up the track. They're the, the two things I can tell you to do. And why, why did you choose track cycling in the end instead of road cycling? Uh, I was naturally better at it, if I'm honest. Um, I'm all right at road cycling, but um, my sort of strengths lie towards the, the team pursuit, and that's naturally what I'm better at. So I've sort of just fallen in that path, shall we say, um, more so than road racing. And we mentioned coffee, we mentioned Breaking Bad. What do you do to relax when you don't want to think about cycling anymore? Uh, movies, Sky movies, Sky box sets. I watch a lot of them. Um, Netflix, pretty much the same generic things that most 20-year-olds do other than go out and get smashed every night. Um, you know, we go, we go cinemas. It's, it's not very exciting, really. Um, enjoy my food, so we go out for nice meals, uh, whether it be me and my partner or fiance, I should say, she'll go get in trouble otherwise. Um, <laughs> and uh, Whereas me and the lads, um, we've got two dogs, so I quite like walking them. I've got a mate who, who helped me train the one with a puppy trainer called Damien uh, in Wilmslow, um, and I'm good mates with him, so I go out with him sometimes, and he's got, he goes hawking with birds and stuff. So just pretty much random things. Other than that, it's just I spend a lot of time watching Skybox sets and Netflix. What, um, what are your top three series right now? Um, I'm watching House of Cards at the moment. Oh, I didn't, brilliant. I didn't have, yeah, I didn't have Netflix before, so I'm sort of catching up on the Netflix series. Um, obviously, I think my favourite show is probably Game of Thrones on Sky. I don't think you can. That's Superb. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, both, yeah. both of them up there for me. Yeah, they're pretty good. I've never really got into Breaking Bad that much. Everyone said it, raved and raved on about it, but I just, I keep trying to watch it, but I just. It's a I bit just, like The Wire. You need to be a little bit more patient with it. You've just kind yeah. of got to. Did you watch The Wire at all? No, but that's that's one on my list, shall we say? And then I've got I'm sort of halfway through Sons of Anarchy, but 
the problem is when you're so tired, you almost want to watch something that's a bit easy. So, yeah. unfortunately, I have to admit to be watching Gossip Girl at some points in my life. <laughs> uh, I've got a friend yeah. called Sahail Malik who'd get on very well with, who's a big, yeah. big Gossip Girl fan there. Yeah, Gossip Girl and the OC and all these awful, awful shows. You know, I like Made in Chelsea and all this sort of just, <laughs> just rubbish, but it's just it's just so easy to watch. And when you, you know, you break, not you're so tired, you just don't want to do anything else. So, um, yeah, House of Cards, you probably need a bit more energy for. Yeah, exactly. So when when I got a bit more energy, I've been watching a bit of that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very good. Gripping. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the new series of Game of Thrones. I went to Croatia yeah. um, in the summer and it just felt like I was there. It was very exciting. Amazing TV show. Uh, Andy, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Before you go, um, do you want to just tell any of our listeners how they can get in touch with you on Twitter or Instagram or on Facebook or anything like that where your fans can keep across your your hopeful success next year at Rio? Yeah, I'm uh, mainly on Twitter and Instagram. I, I don't really use Facebook a lot, to be fair. Um, so Twitter, I'm at Tenanto, T-E-N-N-A-N-T-O. And then on Instagram, I'm AndyTenant38. Um, they're the best ways of, of staying in touch um, with me and the boys and our little adventure around the world should we say well andy uh, enjoy the rest of your time in tenerife good luck for rio we'll be following you and uh, thanks for being the best in the world lovely thank you very much the best in the world podcast with richard parr boom there we have it andy ten on the best in the world with richard parr great chat with him i think we can all agree we've learned a lot particularly about nutrition, particularly about positions in the velodrome and the sheer dedication you need to, as he says in the podcast, be a fat kid into a world champion athlete. And we'll have more world champions, more Olympic champions, more Paralympic champions on our future episodes. When can you download this podcast? every Wednesday of course and in fact do you know what would be even easier than downloading it every Wednesday why don't you just subscribe when you go on your iTunes page click that button which says subscribe then you don't have to worry about every time going to iTunes pressing download waiting a couple minutes for it to download correctly just subscribe then you wake up Wednesday morning you go on that train you go hmm How am I going to fill this journey? I know, I'll listen to the best in the world with Richard Parr. Ah, but I didn't download it. But in fact I have, because I've subscribed. It's already there, I can listen to it. You don't have to listen to Beryl and Betty or Mark and Marcus chit-chatting away on the train, talking about how many beers and the curry they had last night. No one cares. What you should care about is what these world-class athletes do to get better so you can get better. Deal? Deal. Sounds like a good deal to me. So download, subscribe, and then maybe give me a rating. These ratings really help the show. Uh, We'll get more listeners, and with more listeners, we can get even more top athletes to learn from. And we'll be starting that next Wednesday on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. But for now, have a great week. I'll speak to you next Wednesday. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.